I want to talk to you guys today about radicalism, being radical. Do you know that today in the world, the Muslims are discipling four nations? How many nations are Christians discipling? None. Right? We're, as the USA, we are founded on uh, Christianity, but are we really discipling this nation? Are we really? And so, a couple, I guess in this last week, in the last two weeks, there's been a person who's been in the news. His name is John Chow, 26-year-old missionary, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with him. This is John Chow. He's a missionary. And the first um, headline that I read about him was, American goes to remote island and gets killed by tribesmen, but gets killed by bows and arrows with tribesmen, which is what made me click on it, because who gets killed by bows and arrows anymore, right? So I clicked on it, and then it said, uh, that's all it was. So I thought, dumb American tourists, right? Because American tourists, international, whatever, tourists have been in the news a lot lately for doing dumb things. So I thought, here's another guy. And then the next headline I read was, um, American tourists killed in remote island was felt led by God to go there. And I thought, hmm, strange. Felt led by God. And then I read another article. I started reading more and more about this guy. And eventually I came, it, it developed, as the story began to develop, it turns out that he was killed while singing praise and worship songs to this tribe. And they shot bows and arrows, and it killed him with bows and arrows. And um, as of, I want to say, two days ago, they've given up efforts to retrieve his body. So he is buried on that island. Did you know that that was the first time that anyone had ever tried to preach the gospel to North Sentinel Island? First time. The very first time, because in the past, these people have been known to shoot arrows and kill people. And so people avoid it because wisdom, right? Right? And so it's, it's crazy that this 26-year-old missionary would go to an island for 50 people. We're not talking about like vast, 50 people who are known to kill outsiders. And yet he goes. And then I started reading online about it, and people started criticizing him, believers and non-believers alike. Here are some of the things they said. The first one is, he didn't use the wisdom of God. He's foolish, naive, reckless, delusional, selfish even, because he just wanted to explore this lush island. Believe it or not, those words were in an article I read, lush island, trying to explore lush island. Second one uh, that people critique him about is he was exposing them to diseases and therefore endangering them. Third one, which is the dumbest one I've heard, he was trying to colonize them, which was like he was trying to settle in and take control of their land. Okay, okay. so first one, that he was foolish, didn't use the wisdom of God, naive, delusional, reckless, selfish. Can I take you guys to 1 Corinthians 1.27, where it says God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Amen? God chose the weak things of the world to, sh to shame the strong. God didn't use, he didn't use human wisdom. Yes. He didn't. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it's not on there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, actually verse 21, it says, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, 
He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Yeah, he went to this island knowing that he would probably get killed. He didn't want to get killed. He actually wrote in his journey, I think I'm more useful alive, like many of us would feel here as well. And he was killed for the gospel. Second argument, uh, exposing them to dangerous diseases. I read that, that one and I was like, huh, it's true. However, if no one goes to them, there is a 100% chance that they will perish in hell. If someone goes to them, there is the chance they may be exposed to a, a foreign disease and will die. But if no one goes and they die, they will go to hell. And so I think the chance is worth it. I think the chance of going out there and, and telling them the gospel, the love of Jesus, I think it's worth it. You know that, that John spent 10 years, he was called as a 17-year-old high schooler or a 16-year-old high school schooler, spent 10 years preparing for this call of God on his life. He wasn't foolish. He was radically obedient. He was radical for Jesus. Um, Romans 10, 14, 15, how, can they, how then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone to preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Yes. This man was sent. And the last one, colonization. No, I call it the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. All nations. These people do not know Jesus. All nations. Jesus says that, in the, that the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. Psalm 2.8 says the nations are Jesus' inheritance. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it says. Maybe test me if you want. Jesus is worthy of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He is worthy of this remote people group in the North Sentinel Island. And you know what? They are worthy as well. He paid the same price that he paid for you and me for them. How is it that they've existed? They are, I think they, uh, I don't want to say, they're not ice age, stone age, I don't know. There's some age, not a geologist. They're very old. They've existed for a very long time. But there's only 50 of them or so. And they've existed all this time. No one has hardly ever heard of them. But because of John's sacrifice, now they have. You know, 70 years ago, there was another missionary. You guys ever heard of the movie End of the Spear? Jim Elliott? So him and four other missionaries went down to Ecuador to reach out to the Walrani tribe, also a very remote people group as well. And they were hacked and speared to death. And here's the crazy part. Two years after his death, after their death, um, one of their, their aunts and Jim's wife and his toddler daughter went to live in the woods around those people to bring the gospel to them. And as a result of it, many were led to Christ, and it ended generations of revenge tribal killing. There is an, there's a non-believer anthropologist from the University of Connecticut, and he said it was because of the Christian conversion that this tribe did not become self-extinct, because they were killing each other. They were killing each other off. And you know, in 1958, there were about 600 of them. Today, there are over 2,000. 
And so don't give me this excuse of, oh, he's endangering them with disease or exposing. No, God is doing something. And it is it's so crazy to me that so many believers, even fellow missionaries, were so offended by John Chow and the methods that he used. And they began to criticize him. Say, man, surely he didn't hear from God, otherwise he wouldn't have died. Or he would have done X, Y, Z, or whatever. He didn't even know their language. Nobody knows their language. That's the truth. Nobody knows it. Jim Elliott says this. Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. Could it be that we are so offended by the methods he took because we are provoked by our own ordinariness? Could it be that we are so provoked by it because it exposes our mundane, comfort, convenient style, risk-adverse Christianity? Right? We are offended because we are provoked. I think it's time that we wake out of our slumber and stop being marginal Christians. I think it's time we return to radicalism. Being radical for Jesus, loving radically, living radically, obeying radically. He wasn't a fool. John was radically obedient. You know, there's nothing more radical than to lay down one's life for another. If there was something more radical, Jesus would have done it. But he did the most radical thing, which was to lay down his life for you and me. Uh, Damon Thompson says, in the New Testament, the mark of radical Christianity was the blood of the martyrs. Today, in the American church, the sign of radical Christianity Consistent attendance on Sundays. Think about it. Consistent attendance on Sundays. I hate to break it to you. Jesus didn't die for your perfect attendance. He didn't die for you to be at every single Bible study, prayer meeting. No, those things are important. But he died for something more. He died for your destiny. He died to restore your created value. He died for much more. And we have settled for radicalism that looks like perfect attendance when radicalism is discipling nations and going out into the world and bringing heaven onto earth, on earth as it is in heaven. You know, for years I used to pray this thing, Jesus comes soon because the world is messed up and if you will come, you will make all things right. And I felt like it was really good prayer. You know, like this is such, I'm praying, Jesus, you'll make all things right you know if you'll just come if you'll just come and it was such a cop out you know why because heaven is in me right and so if heaven if I don't see heaven around me that's because the heaven in me hasn't gone out Right. And so me wanting to lay this all on to Jesus and just like wanting to hide in a corner or in a, in, a, in a supply closet till Jesus returns and makes all things right. No, we've been called into co-partnership with him because we will be co-heirs with him for the nations. Amen. And so I started changing my prayers on earth as it is in heaven. I will bring the kingdom of God with me wherever I go. I will establish it on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. 
So 1 John 3, 16 to 18, if you have it on the slide, says we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Verse 18, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. It's not enough just to be hearers of the word. We must be doers of the word. It's not just enough to say, I love you. We've got to show it. Laying down our lives. What does that mean? It means to die to yourself. That's it. Laying down your lives. Laying down and dying. That's all it is. Simply it. Dead person isn't selfish. Dead person isn't greedy. Dead person isn't sensitive, isn't prideful. Dead person doesn't get offended. Dead person has no rights. You know, you're dead, right? Imagine a dead person getting upset. Weird, right? A dead person being offended. Doesn't happen, right? A dead person being entitled. No. Do you think what kind of, you think you're going to care when you're dead what your coffin looks like? You know? No, because you're going to be up in heaven having the best time of your life and thinking, man, why did I care about so many dumb things when I was alive, right? And so we, we need to die to ourselves. Um, in Luke 9.23, it says, I think it's up there as well, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, selfishness and the kingdom of God are incompatible. Self-centeredness and the kingdom of God incompatible. The, the root of every sin is self-centeredness. But here's the thing. Selfishness is inherent. It's our default as fallen human beings. It's our natural impulse is to be selfish, to be self-preserving, right? And that's why Jesus tells us in Luke 9, 23, turn from it, to deny yourself, deny ourselves daily, take up your cross and follow him. Why? Because daily it is a struggle. You're going against, you're going against the, the, I mean, your default. You know, you're swimming against the river. And so daily we are to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. The Bible tells us in the last days people will love self, right? People, sin will be rampant and the love of many will grow cold, Jesus says. In Matthew 14, 12, the love of many will grow cold. Grow cold. He doesn't say the love of many will like just freeze. He says it'll grow cold. It'll get less and less and less. The love of many will become less and less and less. In the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, then the last days, people will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money, right? And he goes on. They'll be lovers of all these other things. And then he says this. They will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Yep. Away, from, away from these people. Be, do not have anything to do with them. Lovers of self, lovers of money, having a form of godliness. So we've got to go against the tide. I mean, if you don't think we're living in the last days, you don't think today is all about self? When do you think the selfie was invented? You know what I mean? Selfie, Snapchat. I mean, it's self, right? Self, self, self. Me, 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 right? Um, what can people do for me, right? What can things do for me? What can social media do for me? What? It's all about me, right? For the record, I find selfies weird, right? Like. I unfollow people who do a bunch of selfies. I can't do it, right? So, but 
It's like, dude, how many pictures of you do I have to look at? I know what you look like. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Anyway, so, but it's selfie, right? It's all about me. Selfie, self-me. Like, look at me, look at me. But so it's all about what can you give me? What can the world do for me? What can God do for me? What can my church do for me? And my church is not feeding me. I'm going to find somewhere that I can be fed. Right? But radical love gives. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Radical love gives. Galatians 2.20 says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God so loved the world that he gave. We're countercultural. We've got to be. We can't be part of this take, 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 me, 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 selfie, selfie, selfie generation, Right? God so loved that he gave. Lay down your lives for one another. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. You know, Christmas is Nim's favorite holiday. When we first got married, I had to tell him, no, baby, no Christmas decorations until after my birthday. Y'all know when my birthday is? October 16th, because this boy used to decorate September 1st for Christmas. So I said, nope, yeah. you got to wait till after my birthday. Um, after October 16th, then you can decorate for Christmas. And it's like Christmas everywhere. Um, and it was funny, one of my nieces, she's, I think she's three. Yeah, it was either the three or the five-year-old. And her mom was showing her these crazy Christmas like videos online. And she goes, ooh, is that the in Tito's house? Because it looks so crazy, like someone threw up Christmas. And that's how our house usually looks, you know? Because this one loves Christmas so much. Christmas is great. I love it. I think it's awesome. I love the giving. I love the receiving. I love the decorating. I love the food. I love it all. I love the, the romantic feel of Christmas. But you know Christmas, for all its marketing and beauty and all that stuff, at its core, it's about the radical act of love that Jesus had for you and me. It's about his radical love for us. Because imagine this, the three of them, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, sitting in heaven, right? They're talking about humanity. And they're talking about the fall and the separation. The separation of the ones who were created in their image. Start talking about it. Man, something's got to be done. One of us needs to go down there and fix this. And Jesus rises from his throne. And he said, I'll do it. I'll die the most brutal death. I'll be spat on. I'll be mocked. I'll be ashamed. I'll do all these things. I'll do it. He says that as he looks out among all his splendor, the sea of glass. All of it. Right? The, the armies of angels the golden rule, all of it. And he says, I'll do it. Send me, God, I'll do it. He volunteers his life. That is radical. Because it's not like he didn't know how he'd die. You know what I mean? It's not like he didn't know what would happen to him. He knew. He knew exactly what he was signing up for, and that's what's so crazy is he signed up for it anyway. The most brutal death in all of history. The Romans were known for exacting the most torturous 
ways of killing people, and that's why they chose the crucifixion. Because you wouldn't just die immediately. You'd die eventually after being hung, and the only thing holding you up are your bones. You know? You guys ever tried hanging on a pull-up bar? I mean, how long can you hang for? And Jesus was hanging there for days before he died. He knew. And so Christmas is about his radical act of love. And he, he was so radical in his love for you and me because he knew that there was something so radical to be restored in us. A destiny, a purpose, a value. What do we know? What do we really know about God's love for us? How much do we know about God's love for us? Because you cannot be more radical for God than you know that he was radical for you. In other words, the amount of love that you can give to God or others is going to be limited by, the, by how much you know that God loves you. So we love him because he first loved us. Right? You don't get to love God more than you know he loves you. It doesn't work that way. Every time you realize how much he loves you, guess what? It grows. Your capacity for love grows. Oh, God, you love me this much. Capacity for love grows. Oh, God, you love me this much. Capacity for love grows. And so you want to be radically in love. You want to be a radical lover. Become a student of God's radical love for you. Right? Become a student of it. God, how much do you love me? You know, there's one of our uh, young adults. She says that um, she, or not just her, but several others, what they started doing was going through their Bible, and everywhere it talks about God's love for someone, they would write their name in there instead. God, your thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. God, you created me in my mother's womb. God, God, this. Like, they would just put their names, and they, or they would change it to me to personalize it and become students of God's love for them, students of God's emotions. You know, the church was built on radicalism as well. Our faith is built on radicalism. Our salvation is built on radicalism. Our foundation is built on radicalism. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, is from this old song. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We were built on radicalism. We weren't built on perfect attendance. We weren't built on anything less than radicalism. We weren't built on anything less than laying down your life for another type of radicalism. Do you understand? Jesus transformed the world with 12 mostly uneducated young adults. I love the young adult generation. I love young adults. Um, I think the young adult generation, I think millennials get a bad flack because we've bought into this lie that they are less than so that we don't get the full value of what they were created for. And so I believe that the young adult generation is going to be the one who gets to usher in. They're the John the Baptist. They're the forerunners. I believe the young adult generation is, is really what will, will bring us back, really, to God. And, and then when I lead the young adult ministry, so maybe we're a little biased, but I, I love it, you know? Um, and, and so anyways, maybe. So anyways, but, but, but Jesus changed the world with 12 young adults, 
right? So I have a scriptural basis for it, right? He changed the world with 12 mostly uneducated young adults, and these were wild men, right? Mostly uneducated, real rugged. Um, and the, the first four that Jesus called, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John. Simon Peter, Andrew, James were all martyred along with five others. John died after being exiled. So Simon Peter, the first disciple Jesus recruited, you guys know Simon Peter, you know all about his denials and all sorts of things. He was crucified upside down, right? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, also crucified. James, John's brother, the two of them were known as the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder because once, or maybe more than once, they got so mad that they wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy people. You know what those people did? They were unwelcoming. He wanted to destroy them because they were unwelcoming. Like, that's crazy. These guys had really, like, bad attitudes, right? Like, you want to destroy people because they're not friendly. Like, what? That's crazy. And so James, James and John, the sons of thunder, and Acts 12 tells us that James was killed by the sword by Herod Agrippa. He ordered him to be put to death by the sword. He was one of the first disciples to be martyred. John, his brother, was transformed from a son of thunder to the disciple of love, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? According to him anyway, right? <laughs> you have Matthew, who was martyred in Ethiopia. Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas. Right? Let me see Jesus, I don't believe. Let me see, right? Let me see Thomas, a.k.a. Doubting Thomas, martyred by a lance in either Persia or India, which is like a long spear used by medieval knights. That's what a lance is. I had to look it up, so. Because I have medieval knights, lance. So martyred by a lance in either Persia or India. James Alphaeus, who is Jesus' cousin, also referred to in the Bible as his brother, was thrown down for the, from the temple by the scribes and the Pharisees, and then he was stoned, and then his brains were dashed out with a club. Jude was martyred in Persia. And then Matthias, who was the disciple appointed to replace Judas Iscariot, he was stoned to death and then beheaded. These men were radical. How else do you think they changed the world? I'm not saying you gotta die for you to be radical, but I'm saying lay down your life. I'm not saying that, Jesus said it. You wanna follow him, lay down your life. Love radically, lay down your life. Live radically, lay down your life. Obey radically, lay down your life. Our foundation is radicalism and we have been living for so much less. We have been settling for so much less in the guise of wisdom, right, wisdom. We don't take risks. We have reduced the, self, the Great Commission down to the Safe Commission, right? <laughs> Under the guise of wisdom. And so when someone like John literally lays down his life for 50 people, 50 savages, if you will, he gets mocked and ridiculed. That's so dumb. And it's because we are so provoked, because we have been living for so much less. I think it's time the Great Commission becomes the Great Commission again. The Great Commission. Yes. Yes. Not the Safe Commission, 
not the easy commission, not the convenient commission. You know what I mean? It was all these things that we've turned it into. Chris Valentin, one of my favorite pastors, says, fire doesn't fall on convenience, it falls on sacrifice. Lay down your life. And then I want to I wanna say this, because this is one of my favorite messages, and it shifted me when I heard it. If you want to live radically, you've got to get off your mat. And you're like, what? What mat? I don't have a mat. Acts 3, 6 to 8, if you will. So Peter and John are going to the temple, and this beggar is asking them for some money. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. This message, if you have time to look it up, please listen to it. It is incredible. It's by Christine Kane. She's out of Hillsong Church. And the, the title of the message is, Get Off Your Mat. And I, I listened to it a few times, and I was just like, yes, Lord. You know, Because during that time, I had a lot of things going on, a lot of things I was waiting on God for, a lot of things I was praying for, salvation of loved ones, and, and so many other things. You know, when you have a big God, you keep dreaming with him, right? And if you keep dreaming with him, then you have like great expectations for things to happen. If you want to be a world changer, you have to be unsatisfied with what the world around you looks like. Otherwise, what's there to change, right? And so I was like, man, I have all these things that have been holding me down. I've been using them as excuses. And it says, Peter said to him, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He's jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with him. It is time for us to lay down our lives. It is time for us to get up off of our mats. What is your mat? For him, it was many things, right? Years of disability, years of being ridiculed, mocked, overlooked, right? Years of being isolated, years of being all these things. I mean, you can imagine in those days what it was like for somebody who'd been decades decades handicapped, unable to do anything for themselves, the shame, the despair. But you and I, our mats look a little different. We have mats of offenses, mats of injustice, mats of wrongs that happened to us many years ago. Nobody's saying these things didn't happen. I'm saying you don't get to just lay on your mat while the world around you is aching for heaven in you to be revealed. Right? Get off the mat of your pity parties, your excuses, your disappointments, your hurts, your pains, your aches, your longings. Get up off of your mat because all of creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. All of creation. All of creation. We have been called to disciple nations. We will not do that sitting in the comfort of our homes, in the comfort of our seats, with all of our baggage, laying on our mats, excuse after excuse, being risk adverse. We're not going to change the world like that, I can guarantee you. Let us go be doers of the word, to live radically, to love radically, to obey radically. I pray that John's martyrdom because that's exactly what it was. I pray that his martyrdom provokes us to radicalism. That this, after Jim Elliott died and was martyred in Ecuador, hundreds of missionaries rose up and were sent out. Hundreds. And I, oh man, when I was reading his story, my bones began to ache like, God, do something. 
I want to do something. God, wake me up out of my slumber. God, I want to do more. This is not enough. You are worthy of so much more. We sang worthy of every song I could ever sing, worthy of every breath I could ever breathe, but do we believe it? Do we really believe that he is worthy of every breath? Because if we did, we would live a whole lot differently, I guarantee you. So time for us to get up and then die to ourselves, which is weird, right? You get up off of your mat, then you die to yourself. But you get what I'm saying, right? Die to yourself, right? So love radically, live radically, and obey radically. I think it's time for us to return to our roots of radicalism. I think Jesus is worthy. Amen? Amen. Let's go change the world. So let me pray for us. You know, it's funny, I had a note in here in the beginning to pray because I always forget, so, and I forgot. So let me, let me pray for us now. Jesus, you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy, God. God, I ask that right now you will begin to awaken every single one of us in this room. God, awaken us out of our slumber, out of our comfort, out of our convenience. Jesus, will you awaken us, O Lord? God, that we will be known for our love. God, I ask, Lord, that you will begin to to give us divine strategies and ideas and how to co-labor with you to bring heaven onto earth. And God, along with that, I ask that you would just give massive revelation about your radical love for us. Massive revelation right now. Jesus, massive revelation. Wave after wave of revelation of your love for us. God, I ask that you really will break our hearts for the things that break yours. Jesus, I want to weep for the things that you weep for. Jesus, I want to yearn for the things that you yearn for. I want to love the way you love. I want to walk like you walked, live like you live. Because, Lord, you are worthy. And Jesus, you didn't die for me to be a mediocre, marginalized Christian. And so, God, I ask, Lord, that you awaken us, God, into our destinies. Awaken us. Wake up. Awaken us. Awake. Arise. Arise and shine, for your light has come. Jesus, we love you. I bless my brothers and sisters. I bless this church. God, that this church, this body, will be known for its radicalism. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.